0: Welcome to another episode of Not Investment Advice. We've got our NIA boys here today. Frank, Fan, Jack Butcher, Bilal Zaidi, and we've got a special guest. We had to bring Rick Burton back on the show. Welcome to the show, man.
1: Hey,
2: everyone. Thanks for having me. You've
0: got that beautiful view behind you there, man. Looking looking Bahamas? good.
1: Bahamas? Are you in the Bahamas? <laughs> <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I am not in the Bahamas and I am not in a, a home that was paid for by customer deposits so there we, go. We're starting off board, start. Right? there we
1: go so that's yeah that's that that's what we consider a good start here so Bilal do you want to tee off yeah, where we're we well, starting today for people who've
0: never listened to the last episode where Rick was a favorite guest for a lot of people on the pod you came back in a day I can't remember when that was was it like six months ago March
1: or April yeah
0: maybe six yeah. months or so it's a way back back in the day yeah. and yeah so you kind of unloaded on a bunch of bunch of stuff um letting us know what's going on and obviously with the FTX situation we covered in depth as much as we could last week on Monday but um obviously a lot changed by the time it came out on Tuesday things had already changed the Binance still didn't go through uh and like a hundred things have happened since then obviously you're an OG in the crypto space so we wanted to bring you on uh, to talk about what's happened since um, Trunk, did you want to give a quick summary of uh, what happened? Yeah, so I'll tell where we were. The well, email. Well,
1: yeah, the, the listeners will laugh is. because uh, before we got on this chat, it's like, team me up so I can absolve us from last week's conversation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, so last week when we recorded, what we knew was that uh, that FTX looks like it was having to run on customer deposits. Everybody's trying to withdraw their throttling people from the from drawing. And people were suspecting that it probably had something to do with Alameda blowing up and uh, maybe some funds were commingled. mingled um, But that's the extent to what we knew. And since then, uh, a lot of things changed. I think where it's worth teeing off is that stuff uh, all went down. CZ had uh, done the tweet on Sunday, basically saying that the FTT token, uh, the token for FTX exchange was uh, like a, a dog shit and everything that, that catalyzed everything. So I think where I leave it, hand it off to Rick, Um, is, so Rick, on, I believe it's Tuesday, CZ, uh, the CEO of Binance, largest crypto exchange in the world, uh, basically takes a look at FTX and decides that he will not invest. So I'd like to get your thoughts on when you saw that he was stepping away. uh, What do you think about the situation? And in addition, uh, for the people who don't know, Rick has been very vocal about uh, uh, being skeptical of SBF. And Rick's been in the uh, crypto space for oh, nearly a decade now uh, uh og on the ethereum foundation uh and uh, I- i'd like your thoughts on what you thought about spf before this and then kicking off from cz saying i'm not going to kind of save this company
2: yeah oh yeah just to be clear i was never part of the foundation i just okay, helped uh, gavin and vitalik a little bit uh, so when you know those people do incredible work so i don't want to um, tar them with my brush but but um Uh, Yeah, at a high level, my understanding of where we are right now is that um, the supposed Chinese wall between FTX, the exchange, and Alameda Research, the hedge fund, did not exist at all. And this was something that had been rumored and discussed for a while, but I don't think almost anyone I respect in this industry had any idea of the extent to which those two organizations were kind of fudging together. And so what that means uh, from a practical sense is um when you were depositing money in FTX eventually when Alameda research was making losses they were plugging the gap with your funds so which is just the cardinal sin of an exchange you just you're meant to store funds one to one and keep them separate from um from uh you know from from the the deposits that you may use in other activities and everybody felt weird about the idea of a single man owning two entities that by definition are competitive with one another and give each other information. And so this kind of push uh, out into uh, the regulatory environment in D.C. was just was very strange. We can get onto that later. But at a high level, when you put your money in FTX, um, you suddenly lost that number on the screen. And this is what I think is very important is how to trust a number on a screen. And so when it said you had five Bitcoin, they did not hold five Bitcoin. They started trading that money and lending it and doing highly speculative things. So that's my understanding of the overall reason why eventually this imploded.
1: Okay, and, uh, and you had, you've been following the space obviously for a long time. What was your yeah. initial reaction when SPF came up? Like you, you've been watching the space and you've tweeted about it. So this is not new for anybody that had followed it. So what was yeah. your initial reaction?
2: Yeah, I want to be clear. I had no inside information on like FTX's problems. It was more, I got to see how SBF interacted privately with founders over email threads, uh, founders in my portfolio or like people I've helped. Um, I got to see how he interacted with me when one of his henchmen tried to acquire a domain name that I owned, And I really didn't like that. And he kind of implied that I could be bought. Um, and I really didn't like uh, the whole sushi swap drama because that was just him kind of pulling his puppet strings and orchestrating the whole thing um and kind of what uh, was the
0: what was that for people who don't know
2: well they just cloned uniswap and 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 jerry-rigged a token onto it and now some good people kind of came to that project afterwards but certainly at the beginning the whole project was a complete clusterfuck um and then the people that this a non-chef nomi who almost certainly was SBF, he was awarding him huge amounts of tokens to get started and that's where I had a good public spat with him on Twitter. And, um, uh, and then there was this um, person who stepped in who only lasted a year. And, and so I kind of, I think I was proved right on that point. But, but every part of SPF's being spoke to a mercenary intent. And this is how I always divide crypto people is like on the scale of missionary to mercenary, um, where are you? And SBF was kind of like Vitalik is like 11 out of 10, you know, on the, on the missionary front and really believes in the overarching philosophy of all this. SBF was right the other way of the spectrum on the mercenary front where he's just trying to accumulate as much capital as possible. So, um, so I think I had a read on him from a personal perspective, but I had no understanding of what was going on behind the scenes at FTX and, and would not have guessed that.
1: Right. You said before the call that you just for everything that you felt negative about him, you never suspected like the extent of what has gone on.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it really looks like people would be lucky to get 10 cents or five cents on the dollar. And that is just a whole different level of fraud. And uh, we should, you know, really think about uh, what are the systems that enabled this fraud to go down. Um Yeah.
1: You, but I'll have a follow up question on that, uh, Rick. Is a lot of people asking how far back does this set the crypto industry, right? Is I've seen yeah. a lot of threads of a, a long time crypto uh, CEO of Kraken, uh, Jesse, wrote a long thread yeah. and, and he was obviously very upset and he felt that this would set the yeah. industry back quite a bit. So could you speak yeah, to I that? Yeah, I think a he's bit? the
2: chairman now, but he, he's a great example of someone who's a true missionary and who's kind of honored customers' assets, and even on various Twitter spaces, has said, you know, I really don't think you should use an exchange as a wallet. You should move your funds off the exchange the second you can, Um, which speaks to someone who really cares about the mission. Um, So I think it sets us back from an outsider in, and I think it pushes us forward from an insider out perspective. And so what do I mean by that? I think for um, everybody who has either dabbled in crypto or held a little bit on an exchange and has now lost those funds I don't think they'll ever really consider trusting this community ever again but I think now when we talk about you know memes like not your keys not your coins we have much better phrases to use which is remember what SBF did at FTX like the the Bitcoin community when they went through Mt. Gox They got hardened and they started to obsess about self-custody and they really cared about it because they all felt this loss of control of their funds. Um, I never actually got into Mt. Gox because I I looked at their CSS and it was just dog shite and I looked at Coinbase and it was just bootstrap. So that's actually what led me to Coinbase. So I got super lucky by just choosing Coinbase over uh, Mt. Gox back in the day. Uh, I was like, if that is the way you design a website, there's no fucking way I'm sending my money to Japan. <laughs> so I like dodged that bullet when I had very little capital to, to deploy. Um, but um, but, uh, uh, but like with FTX, it's, it's, it's hitting not just Bitcoiners, but crypto more broadly. Um, so I think that it, every wallet and self-custody solution and key management software and crypto on ramp that just does fiat straight into your wallet or straight off your wallet into fiat all of those pieces of software and companies and that whole industry that focuses on helping you control your assets i think they've just got the gas put into them big time um and you know i can speak to some of the founders that i really like in in that space but but so it's, it's really bad from a public perception. I think it's really bad, uh, really good from a kind of um, creation perspective, certainly around the principles that we, we should care about.
3: Can I, can I do a uh, quick sidebar? man. So, yeah. Rick, I'm curious for your take on the way FTX was positioned as a brand too, because I know they use the language for traders by traders. So I think, and I'm curious for your take on this, the type of... I'm just curious, like what percentage of people on there are holding funds on the exchange because they're doing high frequency trading of some kind or they're accessing leverage or the way in wasn't necessarily that same crypto philosophy that might have brought people to Coinbase back in the day, right? Because FTX is making these high frequency markets and early tokens. And I know Coinbase is doing that as well now, but like the time they came into the narrative, they kind of... As a function of what they stood for, that's the reason why a lot of people kept a lot of assets on their platform. Does that make sense?
2: Absolutely makes a ton of sense. But it also speaks to the vast majority of people's exposure and usage of crypto is hoping number go up. That's actually like the number one use case right, for right. 95% of people. And, and that speaks to like the limited utility that we've actually delivered as an ecosystem. Like we, I think there's some real green shoots that are growing nicely, despite bull or bear market on the prices. But yeah, most people trade crypto because they're hoping they get into one that goes up a lot. And they've heard of a friend who did that and they've seen, you know, a workmate retire or something has just driven them insane to the point where they do that. Um, Um, And you look at all of, yeah, you look at all of the marketing for FTX with Tom Brady, Michelle Bunchen, like all talking about spreading the message on a phone you know, thawing the ice with a flamethrower. It's just insane marketing that speaks Three to nothing Three seconds of valuable. due
3: diligence, right? Yeah, I'm in. Yeah. You remember that? Yeah. So,
2: that is- um, no, I think, you're, I think you're absolutely right. But even as a trader, it still doesn't take you more than half an hour to, to kind of retire large sums of funds to a ledger for the night and move them back on the next day. Right, right. It's not super hard, if I'm honest. And quite frankly, seeing some of these hedge funds blow up who had 80 to 90% of their funds on FTX, I just have limited sympathy for them.
3: And another, another question I had for you is versus uh, a decentralized exchange, is it like there's obviously speed trade-offs, cost trade-offs, and the amount of leverage maybe you can access through a centralized entity that's just like not governed by any kind of... Uh, parameters like collateral parameters so have we seen things like ftx grow faster than the uniswaps of the world because they kind of promising things that are i'm not going to say against the laws of physics but you get what i'm trying to imply there where like when you're trading on uniswap you don't get this excessive access to excessive leverage
2: Totally. But, but you can, to be clear, you can access pretty decent leverage in DeFi if you're looking to put on a, a leverage position. And also many of the exchanges um, uh, like the, have focused on great user experiences on layer two um, uh, provide a much better interface than something like FTX. So the, one of the founders I'll shout out, who's based in San Francisco um, who left Coinbase to build uh, slingshot.finance. And that's Clinton Bembry. He's a founder. I've, I've been trying to help and. The interface to that is absolutely beautiful, and it's really easy to use. So I think part of it is um, people are more familiar with an email and password sign up. Part of it is very few people care about like the underlying tech. Um, but you know, almost like decentralization as a meme is kind of hollow. But when you fill it with, do you want your funds to be stolen or not? It's it, it has a lot more weight to it, and uh, and like that's a lot more visceral for many more people today now. Um, so, so I agree that they had become a central point of failure and accumulated a lot of, of assets and, 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 and traders and things like that. But I also think those people can be increasingly well served um, in decentralized finance built on layer two technology on Ethereum um, should they want to just trade. Uh, and, and every time they make a trade, the assets are you know, returned to their wallet and they don't even have to do any kind of hygiene around it at the end um it, it's just what it happens automatically and so long as they practice good security practices they're not going to experience what we've what we've had
3: uh, go down in the last week
0: mad all right so uh, jack did you have a follow-up to that
3: no that was great i, I appreciate it. i was uh injecting no, that's a great. A
0: no no perfect and then i i realized we didn't do the meme of the week which is all related to this by the way so i will just to lighten the mood a bit i'm just going to share my screen yeah for a minute. it'll bring us uh look <laughs> no, it's been a rough week for all of us and uh we've got to bring i mean some of these that i've been popping out this is not even a meme it's just a a message but this is 219.if <laughs> so just stating the facts of the sbf case makes you sound like alex jones which is incredible which is so true and then this brings us on to our next topic which is Trang, do you want to explain what this tweet is? That's gone mega <laughs> viral here. As you can see, yeah. your boy, Elon Musk called out the New York times somewhere down here. I don't know where it's gone. Well, he's, um, he's always
1: looking for an opportunity that I was like, there oh, we go. So yeah, Trang, what yeah. was going on here? Yeah. Trung there, Trang, yeah. just laid that him was up. An alley, right? uh, so for the listeners and the, the viewers that didn't get a chance to read, uh, so basically what's happened, let's follow up a bit. SPF has kind of gone dark. Uh, he's in the Bahamas, I believe, presumably. And uh, uh, from what I understand, I have no idea if this is correct. This is from me just reading the internet. So maybe not correct. He's maybe under watch by Bahama authorities because they still have extradition with the United States. Uh, he has not been able to flee unlike some of his colleagues, which is what it sounds like. So he's been kind of going dark. And over the last 36 hours, though, he's been tweeting out cryptically a number of like one or two letter tweets that are forming a thread. He's he's finally completed it. It, it, it ended up being like 12 tweets and it was like H, letter H, letter A, the letter P. It ended up spelling what happened. But his first real kind of like coming out after everything blew up and CZ walked away was um, an article by the New York Times. And the article, I saw when it came out, I saw the instant reaction was, very negative to it, sounded like a puff piece, but I'm like, all right, I'll read it. So it says here the name of the title of the article is How Sam Bankman Fried's Crypto Empire Collapsed. And then it said, uh, Mr. Bankman Fried said in an interview that he had expanded too fast and failed to see warning signs, but he shared few details about his handling of FTX's customers' funds. So I just want to talk about the language here. Uh, but can you go down a couple uh, tweets? Like, so that's the New York Times, which is a, a, definitely leans left. And then you look at some of these other, uh, two more, go down two more. You look at some of these other financial media publications, and they haven't been afraid to throw in the words like there's a backdoor involved potentially where SPF was able to move funds with the auditors finding out. Coindesk wrote the words, Bahamas looking at a criminal investigation. Bloomberg straight up just says, Larry Summers says it might be an Enron situation. And then uh, if you go and and final financial times, which got a hold of the balance sheet, which may or may not be true, but they did a small investigation on it. Uh, uh, was like, listen, a lot of this money went to like shit coins and other e-liquid investments. Uh, if you hit that and go to the next, so I, I'd like to point out the next two. And the reason I'm pointing these out is because Wall Street Journal writes criminal liability in their headline, same day, that came out an hour before New York Times. And CNBC said that it looks like what happened may be illegal. New York times used none of these words. That was the nature of the tweet, right? There was no, they never used the word fraud, never used the word crime, never used the word backdoor or criminal or hack A hack happened. Also we didn't talk about, but I thought it was interesting word usage. So I actually throw this to Rick. I actually don't even know your opinion. It's Rick. What did you think about this article? I thought it was, an interesting way to frame it because if you if you only read the new york times article
0: interesting way <laughs> yeah
1: it would sound like sbf was like just a, a, C, a founder who grew too fast
0: yeah yeah just something messed up exactly that's what i got from it
1: you know, i
2: think you should just imagine what would they be writing if he was a trump donor you know like what would the take have been and it certainly wouldn't have been this gentle uh if he'd funneled you know 50 million dollars to trump and, uh, and trump's cronies uh they would have taken the hatchet to him. So, you know, at this point, I'm not just not a regular reader of the New York Times. Um, I, I despise the fact that even when you subscribe, you have to call them to unsubscribe. I mean, the journalists there are just, you know, really upset that, that social media has taken over traditional media and they're kind of clawing their way back into these different algorithms and resentful that they picked uh, th- these degrees that, that where they are the beck and call of, of algorithm crafters. So... To me, it's just another example of why you may sound like Alex Jones pulling together all these conspiracy <laughs> theories, but it sure looks pretty bad when you know the, the Biden kind of PR machine is is not upset that a major Biden donor is just a giant criminal, and that the funds that flowed into Democratic politicians' coffers were literally customers' funds because of uh, how fraudulent this operation was. So I don't know, to me, it's just disgusting, and I think you, your tweet really caught on because it just objectively shows you how few phrases there were uh, that were critical at all. Um, and and uh, I'm, you know, I'm
0: glad you got, I'm glad you highlighted that because they look silly. do you read it. Yeah. Yeah, I read it after you posted this.
1: What What was your honestly? What was your? Uh, you probably I probably biased you a bit. Or, or no, no, I've
0: probably didn't when, need too much biasing myself yeah. either, to be honest, because uh, I'm also not it. really that subscribed. I used to love New York Times. I thought they used to write great stuff back in the day. And then not just New York Times, but a lot of the mainstream stuff. You kind of know exactly what they're going to say. We've talked about it before with the New York Times headline episode we did at one point. Um, and yeah, I kind of just felt like objectively reading it. It just the language was very soft. It was like, like, the, like the, at one point they're talking about him potentially doing something criminal, or like they didn't use the word criminal, but something that was like fraud or something like that. And then it just switches to talking about him playing a game. Do you remember that part?
1: And I'm like, why is end. going? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's kind of
0: like, what is going on here? They
1: buried the story. So I'll just add this it's a 2200 word article. They buried the meat of the story, uh, which is the fact that they misappropriate customer funds. So they talked to Carolyn uh, uh, Ellison, who's the CEO of Alameda Research. And she said, yeah, we took uh, customer funds to fill a uh, a, a, a hole we had from e-liquid venture investments that we had borrowed money to make the investments. But here's a crazy thing: in the top of the article, they called it a margin position. They called they called the ten billion dollar hole of customer funds a margin position. And uh, it turns out that this this writer, I'm not going to name his name. He doesn't. I mean, he's getting dragged enough. But he uh, he in May was at FTX's Bahamas compound. And, like, he had a tweet, like, a breathless tweet. It's like, oh, I'm here with the Genius FBF, and they got, like, FTX, like, branded condoms. And I'm like, Jesus Christmas, man. Did you do? <laughs> we Anyways, now know man. what
0: they were using those for, yeah. <laughs> now we've seen, we've seen a picture Yo, of the compound. Bro, I don't want to speculate,
1: man, but uh, I'm seeing some of this. Uh, All those
0: stimulants.
1: Oh, yeah, the stimmies, man. They're going hard on the stimmies, but... uh <laughs> Dude, yeah, this is, listen, it's getting a little bit uh, dark on the, uh, it's getting a little bit somber. Let's hit some of those other memes. Let's get back. Yeah, what else uh, have we
0: got? I mean, we've got the Rick receipts, which aren't really memes, but they're uh, the stuff that you were calling out SBF. Yeah, for yeah the, Rick
1: the had, had the exchange with him on. Oh, actually, Rick, you sent the, uh, Rick sent a Slack message that uh, the Autism Capital had posted of... Uh... Yeah,
2: I think that's much more interesting and relevant because SBF has been doing these kind of cryptic tweets where he just tweets out one character... Um, yeah. Every so often, uh, and then Autism Capital, who was like the number one anonymous kind of supporter of SPF, this has, one, right? In fairness, completely done a one eighty. On oh wait, so he was? So previously,
1: free. he was a supporter,
3: big time, yeah. Right? Oh, he, he was huge.
2: Off. The whole that was his whole shtick was mm. SPF is a genius. He's going to soak up all the world's money and oh, feels sure. really okay. stupid about it, and has done a one eighty overnight, and is now finding all the information he can and posting it. Um, yeah. So what you can see here and i'll I'll read this out for the people who are not watching the the stream is like um someone internally at ftx uh, who's still working there trying to resolve this situation says why is sam trolling on twitter as though this isn't a serious situation you know question mark exclamation mark did we not learn anything on that twitter got you know did we not learn that trolling on twitter got us here and then sam responds i'm sorry exclamation mark maybe it's wrong I took that approach because something needed to break through the mob mentality, but I'll likely be more straightforward going forward. I mean, it's just such an unbelievable response to his team saying, What the hell are you doing on Twitter? We're trying to clear up this gigantic mess that you created. Um, and then there is a much longer response, which you know I think we'll link to the post where where someone just tells him, Stop tweeting basically, and we all trusted you. We all lost a lot of money. The whole community lost a lot of money and you should absolutely not be just uh, putting kind of unclear messages out there. And and again, I just think this reveals the character of this guy um, time and time again. I mean, did anyone ever watch any of his interviews and think this is a person who really cares about crypto ideals and doing the right thing and all this stuff? Everyone I know would look at those videos where he kind of pushed his effective altruism and his noble goal to fund the world and just say he sounded like a dweeb who got sucked into the rationalist and uh, effective altruism communities in the bay area and thinks that he's some kind of perfect automated donating machine i mean he's just there was no soul to anything he ever did
1: that, that's that's a tweet that i remember i mentioned it last <clears throat> week He wrote the same thing about uh zuck obviously not to call it zuck This like there's different animals yeah, but it's like yeah, automatic yeah. like robotic and like just very yeah kind of Fair enough, yeah, man. and
2: I think I think that you know one thing I think people should think very carefully about is always the people behind the products and the protocols that they're using, right? And because those products and protocols really reveal who those people are. Like it has been no surprise to me that, say, Stripe, for example, is this beautifully thought out, incredibly glossy, incredibly clearly written, um, and and kind of marketed and 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 kind of crafted piece of software that nearly all of us rely on day to day and use hundreds of times a year Um, because the collison's who built stripe are just incredibly careful meticulous and caring people whereas someone like sbf who's happy to just waddle around in shorts and an oversized t-shirt and just you know claim that he's some kind of effective altruist and plaster his face on all these billboards with no understanding of any of the reason crypto existed in the first place. It's just no surprise to me that someone like that would try and keep the wheels going, even though his operation was losing money. So if there's anything I can take away, is like to really look into the people that make the products and, and who build the protocols uh, that you rely on if
0: you're in crypto. Um, I
2: think it's Waddle very is important. such
1: a great word, by the way. <laughs> by the way, Waddle yeah. is a fantastic word. Well, okay oh, can i ask
0: the yeah. question because i completely agree with what you just said there rick and i would just say like stepping away from just spf right now you know in the last six to 12 months we've had luna duquan demise celsius forgot the dude's name who was the the main guy celsius alex but, mashinsky yeah exactly um and then i'm probably forgetting a few others 3ac and you know, there's, a, there's a bunch right that have all kind of collapsed in this time um and, you know, this time last year, a lot of people were saying, I mean, I remember literally the week before uh, you know, the stuff happened with Luna, I was with a guy who I actually really respect. And I don't, I don't want to say his name because you might even know him. But, mm. but um, basically, we were talking about Luna and he was just like, man, this guy, I think Duquan might be like the Elon Musk of, of crypto or something like that. And at the time, that was mm. the sentiment, right? In a way, like to a lot of people, maybe Elon Musk is a bit of a stretch. And I'm not saying he, you know, had malicious intent himself, obviously. It was just, that was the veneer that everyone kind of had with putting these people on a pedestal.
2: Objectively, he said the words, die will die by my hand. Like, that's Mm. not a difficult leap to make when somebody is shitting on the most important project in Ethereum that got launched in the biggest depths of the bear market by some of the most careful and meticulous engineers. It was not this isn't something that you had to find in like a back room. Like no one who is really proud of what they're building needs to shit on other teams that have done incredible work. Like whatever maker has done or succeeded or, or however it's changed. And of course it's, it's, it's evolved as a project. What they contributed in the depths of the bear market was the first critical DeFi application. Yeah. And Rune has been a missionary there. It, it, when you read someone saying, I'm going to kill maker instead of I'm going to build Luna it's not hard for me to just say that guy is a complete scam artist and a complete fraud. And that's why I never touched Luna. And I remember replying to a bunch of his tweets, just being like, good luck with that, man. Like, good luck with, you know, when you dunk on DeFi, just like Alex Mashinsky did, he was always like, well, you know, DeFi isn't really like true DeFi. Whereas Celsius, we offer these amazing returns. Again, he was cooking the books and with, with Do Kwon, he was juicing the leverage way too hard. Like it's not, Difficult for me to see these things because I, I, I've i noticed that just Vitalik generally talks constructively about what he's working on, rather than negatively about what anyone else is working on.
0: Yeah, that's a and so,
2: point. so I, I, I like this is my filtration system for founders. You know, like like at the at the beginning as well. They're usually just very excited to talk about what they've built, rather than shit on all shit of their name. competitors. Like they're aware of the competition, the other products, but they're much more interested in like. What they've made, and and they want to show you what they've created. Yeah. Um. So maybe these things are obvious to me, but 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 maybe I, by sharing them, there's something that other people can start to look out for. Like if the person who is holding your funds is dunking on other people instead of improving the product that you hold in your hands, think about where that person's energy is.
0: Yeah. And Ooh, and sorry, sh- just try. Can I just ahead. finish? I was just yeah. going to say the last thing, just to finish my thought on those people and the reason I mentioned. Uh, the Duquan thing was just that a lot of these people were built up and I completely agree with you. Like in hindsight, we can see a lot of the behavior, the way they were treating people online, even all of them have got, there's a bunch of red flags there as well. At the same time, there's a bunch of people. We all kind of in air quotes admire that are also shitting on people on the internet in some ways as well. So it's not like, but they're they're not usually the
2: highest quality founders. They're not, what I'm saying is the founders where you trust your funds, the ones I admire the most, usually have built up their systems like brian armstrong does not spend time talking down about other exchanges he's like look at this new product we've launched look at this new system we've built look at this new integration we've had and and he doesn't spend his time knocking cz or even knocking SBF or any of these other people he's just like look at the improvements we've made to the coinbase wallet app adding multi-party computation like generally brian just talks about what they've added to coinbase not what other teams have done and failed? Um, yeah, good. He example. only has to comment uh, on 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 competitors uh, when when there's a disaster. And then if you talk with the top tier DeFi founders, um, you know whether it's like Compound with uh, Robert Leshner or Ave with um, uh, Stani, they're just talking about the way that they have improved Compound or or Stani with the way he's built Ave and the team that, that built that. And then Lens Protocol, his latest move, but like he's much more interested in talking about creation than he is dunking on other people. And so, you know, these, are the, and then even so you don't have to kind of trust the, with those DeFi founders that they're being correct. They've audited 24 seven on chain by lots of very, very smart people. <clears throat> so yeah, 100%. that's where I think, you know, this is a huge win for top tier DeFi. And this has been a clearing of house of all of the charlatans who thought they could get away by piling on the leverage. And tricking people into putting funds with their centralized custodial services that were all really just backroom slush funds for their leverage trading.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Great point. Trong, you were going to say something.
2: Man.
1: Yeah. I, I just uh, want to add, uh, uh, Rick, about this. A lot of the names you mentioned, like Doquan, uh, Magnitsky from Celsius and, uh, and SPF. Think, so they came up around that 2017, 2018 vintage, right? But that's kind of when they got their start versus uh, it, it kind of fits into your mercenary versus missionary things. So. I actually have two questions on the. Uh, well, the main one is uh, we I know we had a, a, a like a lighthearted back and forth or with Bobby Goodblatt, uh, early investor in uh, Coinbase, um, and angel investor in general. But well, what do you think about his thoughts of saying, like, you know, it's sometimes good to have uh, not just missionaries or because you know, both sides, both extremes are bad, but his position is like, you know, he argues a lot with Bitcoin maximalists, right? So, what do you think about kind of his framing of that? Um, yeah, I mean. I-
2: I think he created a false dichotomy where it's not just a single line through where well, it's missionary or mercenary. I think what he ends up fighting is um people who are are kind of totally allied with a single protocol and have kind of made it their entire identity. Um and so like uh and, and generally Bitcoin maximalists are only interested in Bitcoin and then there are Ethereum people who are only interested in Ethereum. Um I think I think he makes a makes a very fair point, but like if you're going to take a band of missionaries versus a band of mercenaries I don't think anything exists without the missionaries but the missionaries create the things that eventually get traded by the mercenaries so I think it's much more important and interesting and kind of uh relevant to care about the creative missionaries versus the, the extractive um um mercenaries and like that's like another a kind of another matrix or or, or angle to it is like how much is someone giving to an ecosystem versus how much is someone taking? Um, and, you know, I think I think you can say for someone like Vitalik, he's just given literally every waking hour he can to the Ethereum community despite having fewer and fewer ETH each year than like, I mean, just he has other investments and things like that. But generally he's not an active angel investor and all that kind of stuff. He's just hundred percent focused on making Ethereum work. And of the people who got the protocol going back in 2014 to 2015, I think there's only fewer than a dozen who still actively contribute or or put their energy into it. So uh, there are lots of ways to analyze all these things. Um, But uh, my, my smell test for like people going forward is, um, is, is something I want to refine. You know, I'm, I'm quite happy to say this openly, like one of the protocols I'm really concerned about is curve. Now, why is that? I named Curve. I worked with Michael Igorov to launch it. I got it out the door. And then he went silent on me and all of his investors as soon as it started to work. And he's currently being pursued and sued in three countries. So let me just tell you one up front. I believe that Curve, despite being a kind of top tier DeFi protocol, is not fully decentralized and does have issues. And so I'll put that on your podcast and say that publicly. I think people should really watch out for that guy because of the way he treats people. Um, and I can list a bunch more people who treat others uh, incredibly poorly and have revealed themselves to me privately or or even just publicly on Twitter. So, I don't mean to be so downtrodden, but i'm 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 trying to show people like how we filter for those people who are actually trying to be creative contributors to this ecosystem instead of just mercenary extractors.
1: That's my big takeaway from kind of listening to you is is to have that red flag meter. Right. And uh, I'll be Mm. honest, like I was very, I wasn't necessarily credulous, but like, I didn't have a, I'm like, Oh my God, look, this guy's FTX and SBF, They're killing it, man. Oh my God. They're crushing Mm. it. Right. And never really Mm. looked closely, but at the same time I uh, I never actually really tied up any of my personal assets into them. And we're being fully transparent. Like we had conversations for the podcast potentially having them advertise because we know how much money these guys are throwing around uh, dodge that bull yeah thankfully. yeah
0: can you imagine boys jesus oh, christ my
1: goodness right <laughs>
0: so glad we didn't take any yeah this is why we have to
1: stick to dtc like beverage products like if you're listening athletic greens like i drink that shit yeah. i love it <laughs> wait jack Did yeah, have- i really no, i Henry. really
2: admire ledger status on on yeah. up only just saying i got yeah. tubes and i'm sorry and i apologize like you know, way to go for just owning it.
0: Um, yeah, I think that's a, I think that was a, that's a great thing to bring up actually because I think there's been a lot of people who have kind of been calling out like, in air quotes, influencers or people who have an audience like, whereas it it's a podcast, even people. And I saw Pump write a big thread about BlockFi specifically because he was literally on the board of directors. He was, you know, yeah, was sponsoring his podcast for a long time and FTX as well. Um, and you know, they're two very different cases here. Up only and Pump, but just using those two as examples personally my opinion is like when you're in that position like i've had like 20 plus advertisers on creator lab right i know a lot of those brands and most of the time i try to use a product or whatever but sometimes you don't know the ins and outs of a company obviously right you're just you're mm. basically reading them out you basically say this is a paid for sponsorship you're not like trying to pretend to shield something uh, and there's mm. a there's a there's a line some people might say actually you should only promote stuff you really know in and out um, and other people are like, well, it's an ad. It's like if we put this on YouTube and an ad runs on our thing, we don't control what is being shown on that. Um, but yeah, I'm curious to get your guys' take on that because I've, I think like Pump's one specifically, because I've spoken to him about this in the past. Like Blockfire is another one that's kind of fallen now, right, because of FTX. And Blockfire was just far for bankruptcy. Uh, just far for bankruptcy. When Celsius, you know, uh, had the same problem. All of the people I'd spoken to in the past about basically there was like Celsius, Nexo, and Blockfire with the three that I knew lots of people using. And I was like, look, I don't know what's going to happen, but like, not advice, but this is what I would be doing if I have any money in these. I just wouldn't worry about five, 6%. I would just make sure I've got my stuff custodied myself. But I'm curious what you guys think about like that issue with people promoting stuff, um, especially in the case of like FTX where. You know, it wasn't just like random people. It's Tom Brady and Larry D- David or whatever. And it's you know, oh, dude. Let me,
1: uh, uh, let me, let me, let me yeah. give me thoughts, like, because I don't want to lose a thread on it. it's like, Go Exactly. On. Like, listen, we dodged the bullet because they just never came through. Like, let we we'll be fully honest here. If this yeah. was a year ago, that takes like here, we'll do a quarter with you for called ten twenty grand. We would have taken that. Let's be fully honest. We would have taken that amount most likely, not one hundred percent. I don't speak so for all three 10, of 20 us. grand, but <laughs> yeah. okay, all right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, on, yeah.
1: yeah, that. You know, like a about, athletic now. Greens. Those are hypothetical numbers. Yeah, yeah. That was uh, <laughs> uh, but I mean, like, you you guys know what I'm saying, right? A year ago, in the in the kind of raw raw days, and and but just to answer your question. I was like, I have I've had you've had advertisers on Creative Lab. I've had advertisers in my newsletter, and um, yeah, I haven't done full due diligence on every single advertiser in my newsletter. Like, it uh, here's a
2: mental model for you: if the CEO of the company is not domiciled in the same jurisdiction as you, maybe don't take the advertising. that guy was bouncing hong kong bahamas in and out everywhere paying off everyone whereas brian and jesse and like the ceo of anchorage they're all in california and they're paying insane california taxes to be here because they get insane amounts of value from it and and um i just think uh you know when you got a guy who's just shifting around the world that means they're trying to dodge something from the get-go so if you ever are working with you know someone just think about like are they actually in the same risk framework as me like if they go under will all of my customers that i push to them you know experience the same thing that that i'm going to experience
0: yeah good that's a great point.
1: we're getting a lot of good heuristics here from rick man is like framework rick, episode yeah <laughs> this is the framework episode man yo did we just lose uh, jack
0: yeah i think jack dropped off but he when he okay, comes all back good now, all then, good and...
1: all right all right all good okay so i got a follow-up question for rick Uh, So, Rick, uh, uh, to summarize your kind of thoughts on uh, the quote-unquote setting back of the industry, in in a way, hurts retail. Those people may never come back, understandably. And uh, we hope they get some resolution that's better than 5% on the dollar. Unlikely, uh, it looks like. The other part is like, uh, for you, though, is like the builders, the real builders get the chance to build uh, uh, with the ethos of crypto. But I think an interesting thing that I've seen come up quite a bit and something that's really stuck with me is the the institutional money side, right? Because a big... A big argument for the, uh, a big bullish argument for crypto is like, what happens if the entire endowment, pension, insurance world puts 1% of their assets into crypto? A week ago, that's not a big deal. Like uh, 1% yeah. allocation, uncorrelated, uh, it's not that risky, to be fully honest. You talking However, about the Ontario
0: yeah, uh, teachers Not just Ontario, the, the, I'm talking about the entire no, no, asset any, class. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. yeah. Joking, yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: <clears throat> so what that, uh, I think a very astute observation from Ben Hunt from uh, Epsilon is, uh, the Epsilon Theory is, the Epsilon Theory Twitter account is you, if you're a CIO for an endowment now, there's no chance. You're gonna convince, right? so what is that? So Rick, my question then is like, is this over forever though? This is what I mean. is like that institutional wave of money, we're talking potentially hundreds of billions if not trillions of dollars was supposed to be allocated towards crypto, real project. If that's gone, one of the biggest catalysts for crypto is off the table.
0: It's a good question.
1: Yeah, I mean,
2: I think you got to separate there between institutions allocating some portion to like an existing crypto asset and like seed funds willing to back new founders creating new crypto assets. So I think the institutions, yeah, it cools off for a little while, but like usually they're buying the tail end fumes of a whole bunch of innovation that occurred five to 10 years ago. Like institutions are still getting comfortable buying ETH. Um, on the institutional level, I think you are going to see the big banks who have been exploring crypto, like for example, Goldman Sachs has been exploring crypto really actively. You know, institutions are just gonna look like for a brand like that for custody from now on. Um mm-hmm. <clears throat> if they decide they want to hold ETH on their balance sheet for some reason in the future. Um uh, from a kind of large corporation level, you look at the unbelievable business development from that guy Ryan Wiz down in LA with Polygon. I mean, he's just integrated it into Starbucks. Nike, I don't know, just so Unreal. many different large brands. And and it's crazy Instagram. the way in which yeah. Reddit, Instagram, like- Elon asked
1: him it. on Twitter to join Twitter, by the way. I don't know if you guys yeah, saw yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. So
0: he's the one who did gaming at, YouTube, right? yeah, gaming at YouTube,
1: right? Yeah, he's oh, head yeah. of gaming at YouTube. Yeah. yeah, he's a
2: savage. So I think that like big companies are phrasing it the right way and like exploring it in the right way, not by, by kind of shipping out culture for free or, or for low cost and like letting people enjoy the value of that afterwards. And um, that's where I think, you know, crypto still has a really good story in America. Um, but but in, uh, but the, some of the seed funds get hosed, but like most of them um, were using Gnosis Safe or like, um, you know, actually using the technology that they are supposedly interested in funding. So a lot of the best seed funds I know have not been touched at all because they didn't trust that guy as far as they could throw them. Um, so. Yes, it's a cooling off. Yes, some companies died, but those founders, if they and early teams, if they really care, like carry on working in industry. But the most important point for me is that um, memes of decentralization are pretty hollow and don't connect with people. Uh, memes around control, empowerment, storing your assets, having access to your funds, not getting FTXed, um, uh, is is now is now a much stronger meme, uh, and I think. That means that people can actually start moving some funds into a wallet. And then when they actually get a wallet, they start connecting to dApps and doing things with it and buying interesting NFTs or music or connecting with people on social networks and chat systems built on Ethereum and actually move from traders to users. And like that funnel, I think, is still 100 to 1, but I think it's going to grow. And even if it grows to, say, 20 to 1, that's a massive improvement. It's a 5x increase in the number of like monthly active users of dApps.
1: Let me um, just. Uh, and that sorry, be, me back. Sorry, I just want to yeah. add one thing because uh, we're well, listening cool. to you speak. I just wanted to say that uh, uh, I think I agree with you. I, my, before I asked you that question, I'm like, man, it's done. I'm like, I don't think institutions ever come back. But then you kind of look at mm. the uh, the junk bond situation in the 80s, eight late 80s, with uh, Mike Milken, that obviously was hugely mm. controversial. Then you look at uh, mortgage-backed securities. Obviously, these asset classes are already so big and they're so intertwined with the real economy that that they might yeah. seem. Bit, but having said that, they went through convulsions, and now people don't even bat an eyelash to invest in those asset classes, right? So yeah, uh, yeah. I just wanted to add that. And it's like yeah, the I, I, listening to you talk, I I, I think uh, I've walked myself off the ledge of like uh, institutions are done with crypto forever because the reality is that if those things make money and the number goes up, they'll be back.
2: Yeah, exactly. And if it provides actual real yield from not from just the next yield farm, but from people. Buying uh, products and services on Ethereum, paying gas fees, and that flowing back to ETH holders—that's not a yield that's based on on a kind of single activity or a random token with a food like name slapped on it. That's Ethereum as an ecosystem generating a fee that someone could participate in forever, um, and, and like that's that's a very different proposition.
1: Can I cut you off? I'll cut you off before you're about to finish the thought. I don't know.
2: No, 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 okay. no, just, uh, I guess the the, 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 you know, an area I'd like to talk about it, and, and something that I, I care deeply about is people actually using apps yeah, and, let's and talk getting about value that, from let's them. let talk
1: about the app you work on um, and the, the, Chrome, uh, the Safari extension.
2: Yeah. So um, like last time I came on the podcast, we were exploring extensions and I've stepped into a role where I'm trying to help founders who are, making the experience of using dApps on your phone a lot better. So right now, if anyone has ever tried to use a dApp on Ethereum on their phone, they tap like a a button, it pops them over to the wallet, then the wallet pops them back to the app. Then they've got to confirm a transaction, it pops them back to the wallet, then they've got to pop back to the app. Then they've got to sign a transaction, pops them up. It's just a a crazy user experience. We are bouncing between your browser and a wallet. Um, And what's cool is that now we can put wallets inside safari uh, and i've been been helping out a founder um, shun who's been doing this white wallet prototype that i pinned on my twitter and what's so cool is you can like use DApps natively like inside safari and like approve transactions sign transactions connect instantly and things like that and i think this is really important because my my my, my biggest fear is the level of laptop blindness we have in the ethereum community like everyone here can afford a laptop a, a desktop computer all these things that's not available to, to most people. And most people do the majority of their financial transactions and, and things on their phone. And if you actually try and use dApps on your phone, and very few people do, to be quite frank, but when you do, it is excruciating. And so we're trying to like improve that. And again, this all speaks to products that are only enabled by self-custodial wallets, products that allow you to interact with protocols and dApps directly. And, and those are kind of occurring in the browser and need to be enabled by a wallet. And so now you can click those things together. But this is moving away from like trading, I just get nervous and I think price go up, price go down. When I buy a music NFT on sound.xyz, for example, I love it. Like I'm I'm getting a relationship with an artist. They give me free tickets to their future shows. Like I feel like I own a piece of digital culture. Um, Mint.fun is an amazing website. They're like free mints every day and all you pay are the gas fees. And I just like go on there and I find cool art and I mint them and, and you know, some of those do go up, but my kind of entry cost is almost zero. Um, and then there are products like showtime.io where you can uh, like link your Spotify and like mint stuff from artists and you develop a relationship through the NFT and they message you through it um, and those kinds of things are coming. So I guess I want to like articulate that there's this world of really impressive dApps out there. They do work on mobile, but the mobile wallet experience is like excruciating. And, and so trying to improve that and push that forward, I hope will lead to more people just using self-custody, not because they're scared of FTX and SBF, but because they're excited to use some of these products. And it's very, very early, but we're, we're starting to see mobile dApps being really fluid. And um, I care about that a lot. And that's what I keep pushing on and working on.
1: Just to confirm, so uh, you are advising with Light, uh, the uh,
2: yeah, yeah, helping out uh, Shin, the founder, and like a bunch of other uh, teams doing self-custodial software. And I did install it yesterday. It was
1: very slick. Uh, I've I've only actually done two or three uh, Safari extensions, and I know that. So you've written about online, and we talked about last time you're here. Is like you know you and you mentioned just now is like Apple actually could is the big unlock potentially, right? Uh, we don't know how deep they'll go into crypto, but well, yeah, I think moves.
2: Apple, Apple don't care about crypto anymore. It's been a disaster this year internally, I think, yeah. from my understanding. So Celsius, I think was the number one app store, like support request for Apple wow. at one point, because wow. everyone's like, Hey, I downloaded this app and I just lost my savings. Like I, I blame you, Apple. I can't get anything back from Celsius. Damn. So, so it's really, really bad. Uh, uh, and then, um, Uh, And then, you know, they literally removed the FTX app without even talking to them. Like, that's how bad they could see what was going on. Uh, I mean, they just removed it from the store. And they're
1: they're obviously allowed to do that, right? Like, their terms of services. I mean,
2: it's their their fiefdom. They can do what they want. But that's how, and just like internally the message, everyone's like, when's Apple going to do a crypto wallet? The answer to that, in my opinion, is never. Because... It opens you up to tons of liability and there's actually not that much upside for regular humans. I think they may improve the APIs and the crypto um, APIs and like potentially do an API for the secure enclave. But I think that as a priority for Apple is, is never going to occur because, quite frankly, the user experience for most people has been going on and out, doing some trading and losing some money. And they did that on their iPhone. That's not good for Apple.
1: No, Rick, this is, this is, this is when we spoke to you six months ago, obviously before all this fuckery mm. happened, you were bunch, yeah. much more optimistic, but you much point, more point. All, yeah.
2: all the times I've been trying to reach out to Apple employees and get conversations going talk about that, all of that's been shut down. There's just, there's just
1: so, no point. I mean, the, to your point, like these guys, there's no one, one who's willing. A, billion dollars a year, anyone right? hitchh- yeah.
2: What's the point? Exactly. <laughs> uh, exactly. It's, it's, it's a rounding error for them in terms of app usage. And like products that people love, whereas you know, you take a product like One Password. People love that product. They like saves me so much time and energy and helps me log into things. You know, Apple love products like that. So, so yeah. So the Safari Extensions API is great because it allows us to do things that don't touch Apple's ecosystem inside Safari, and they like that. That they're okay with that. What they're cracking down on is like NFTs enabling new features inside wallets and. NFTs acting as kind of in-app payments, and they they always want to take their toll. But I think the um, wallets that that kind of enable the Safari extension will allow DAP developers to do the magic in in the web and and the wallet just to sit there in the background and process transactions.
1: I've always appreciated your perspective on Apple for the listeners that, that didn't see the last time Rick was here, he's got this giant, like Apple designer, like book. Uh, you, you still got that thing. <laughs> Things are amazing, right? And, oh yeah. Uh, yeah. I've got, I've got, uh, I've got another one as well. This is, I, a, I love your description of, uh, of how Apple thinks about the Right? It's like if you're, if, if Apple's allowing crypto apps on their phone and the experience, uh, is just number go up and number go down. I mean, fair enough. They have Robin hood on there too. And all the, all the trading apps, but, uh, um, yeah i don't know
2: this one's pretty cool it's got the fir- one of the first explanations of a user interface on it it's the oh my uh, God. inside macintosh volumes one two and three <laughs> and it's this
0: incredible giant right. could, you, could you show the uh yeah
2: could you the show cover the cover uh, again
1: the cover is real og yeah, sure.
2: yeah this is old school like when they were trying to explain how to use your mac oh my goodness, goodness. Like, they have they have this explain explanation of like what a window manager is so, like, that's here is a window, awesome. and here is a scroll bar, and like, these are going to overlap. And then, like, the rest of the book is just this giant, um, you know, like, look at how an application talks to your printer and stuff like this.
1: That's awesome. I just Love find
2: it. this is like a, that's it's cool. a cool, do you know what year that's, that's from?
1: Began. Uh, is that from I believe it's
2: 80s? from the 80s, like early
0: 80s. It's just yeah. crazy, like seeing was that it? as a diagram, like the like what we all now yeah. use as a window, because right. they basically invented yeah. the GUI, right? Um,
2: well, they popularized um, it, and then and then I think what Microsoft really shifted out, but it was you know, there's all
1: to be this, clear.
0: Who Both did of it them first. stole it. Stole, <laughs> yeah, wait, what, exactly. what was the story there? Who, who no, did now, They, steal they it from? both
1: saw it at Xerox Park, and uh, from the, the Xerox, joke, exactly, and yeah. Bill Gates. I mean, uh, Rick will know. Bill Gates said in the early nineties is like when Steve Jobs was accusing him of stealing it from Apple. Uh, Steve yeah. and Bill Gates goes well actually well, the way I see it is that we both went to the neighbor's house to rob <laughs> them you robbed it first <laughs> and then I came in after that's you that's uh, hilarious so I didn't copy, know that
2: this was copyright 1985 and it, that's the amazing. latest edition was 88 so oh. pretty amazing how far we've come right like with user yeah, interface yeah, design and but stuff uh, let like me that. throw
1: something yeah. to JB Jack Butcher here Jack uh, we haven't really spoke well, we've been exchanging mostly memes over the past week. So I'd like to get a bit of your temperature now that we know the severity of this FTX situation, because you obviously are still involved, uh, uh, or so I mean more involved than either myself or Bilal and kind of like these, uh, I'm going to call them Web three, but like you're still messing around in crypto a bit it's like, what, what has your thoughts been, uh, over the past week? Has it changed what you believe the future is and just throw, and yeah. Well, mm. what are you, what's your, what's your temperature?
3: Well, I agree with everything that everybody's said today, but also this like blow up of this magnitude being a reset on the barometer for the things people trust is obviously painful in the short term, but it feels to me like even down to the nuances of like sponsors for a podcast, right? Like the due diligence that you have the responsibility to conduct now Yes. And like the almost the, you know, you look back and it's like the, the stuff is so obvious in hindsight, right? Like this is always the way where it's like, you know, you call the top of any market by the absolute egregious actions, right? The Tom Brady Super Bowl ad. Someone had an amazing tweet that said, if you shorted every company that had a Super Bowl ad, this oh, Chris, year you'd be back. a billionaire. Oh my yeah. God. the yeah, 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 yeah. Crazy. So I think like that idea of getting sucked into the like this reputational like anybody working that hard to build a reputation or to buy a reputation beware right and all of this to rick's point is kind of the complete opposite of what this how this culture began and what made it great in the first place which is like people working on projects together because they believe in the thing um and i think yeah this is like the 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 clearing of the forest floor in a lot of ways. And a lot of, I wasn't, I was like tangentially exposed to crypto through 2017. I'd never like exited a position because of any of that stuff, but I didn't have the connections or the uh, experience to know that there was opportunities to build directly in the space. Like I was probably, uh, you know, probably had the, this a similar experience to what people are having now, obviously not with the severity of losing all your funds, but 90% drawdown and then thinking like, oh, well, I guess this is never coming back versus having the exposure to, oh, you can actually build stuff with this. And to Rick's point, like until you've like put a transaction through on Ethereum that isn't like buy or a buy or a sell order, I don't think you really can appreciate like the magic of it. It feels yeah. like, you know, when you were like, I'm sure everybody has a different memory here, but like the first computer you ever got, you fire it up. I was playing like worms on my computer in the 90s or something, right? It's like, there is something unbelievable about this, like the experience you have. And I think restarting from that perspective, and there's going to be speculators, there's going to be idiots, there's going to be like caution thrown to the wind as a function of like number go up and everybody gets caught up in that to some extent. But... I don't know short term painful, long term incredibly promising, and to be honest, the react like the market reaction is actually not as crazy as like if you yeah, look, look like you at, look at, at the, the as, actual... like the underlying assets, the reaction well, think, has not been that aggressive. I think
2: the Solana aggressive. community, the Solana community got their just desserts. I yeah, mean, fair. partnering with people like Kyle Samani uh, and and SBF has cost them dearly, and I. You know, I'm certain that the founders of Solana wish that they had not hitched their wagon mm. to them so tightly.
3: Yeah. yeah.
1: And, Crypto and again- Mamba. We got to bring that tweet up, right? The one of the greatest clapbacks. Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. Wait, have you yeah, got that? Uh, That's yeah. a- I don't know this but Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Okay, Rick, so you- up. Up. Rick, could you tee this up? I'm going to bring up the tweet. to so, give people. <laughs> so, yeah.
3: think,
1: uh, so, this is like early, like when SPF is building his legend. Yeah. So, this is January 2021. Yeah. FBF is like, oh, this is oh when, yeah, this Twitter stuff's interesting. Like You can build a pretty big personality on Twitter. Let me start clapping back yeah. at people. So, um, mm. uh, Rick, can you tell us what you remember of it? And then I'll pull up the tweet.
2: Yeah, so, so my understanding is Mamba was kind of questioning the value of the Solana ecosystem and just, you know, putting his thesis for why he was not impressed. Um, and then SBF comes out with this kind of legendary clapback of like, I'll, I think it was roughly speaking, I'll buy all the soul you want for $3, then go fuck off. Yeah. Um, and then obviously after that Solana, I think touched $250. So it made SBF ADX. look like a genius. Yeah. Yeah. So it made SBF look like a genius and, you know, um, and, and, uh, and this coin Mamba guy was just, um, uh, feeling a little bit silly, but is a legendary trader and does like, oh, so.
1: coin Mama has a, does, he, legend. okay, okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. I,
2: I think he's done like extremely well for himself. He doesn't really care, but on the news that the entire value of the FTX holding companies and everything is one dollar, <laughs> he was just like, You know, I'll buy literally everything you have. For, for this is this is the
1: great on. people.
0: Here we go. Here we go. Fan, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my god,
1: Hollywood trunk fan for the listeners here. Uh, everything Rick just said <laughs> on January 9, 2021, after a long and laborious debate, SPF writes to uh, coin Mamba, who is a, a legendary crypto trader. Uh, uh, I'll buy as much soul as you have right now at $3. Sell me all you want. <laughs> then go fuck off on November 11th, 2022. So this is 18 months later coin Mamba. Rolls back up into the thread. You know, he had the same bookmarks. Oh my God. Can you
0: imagine the feeling?
1: You know, Jesus Coin Great. Mamba had one tab on his internet, Chrome browser open. Always open. 18 months. He was waiting for the moment. So, Coin Mambo replies his thread after 18 months. It's been dead. And he just writes, I'll buy everything you have right now at $3. three dollars. Sell me all you want, then go fuck off. But here's a kicker exactly what Rick said. He took the Bloomberg terminal photo of Sam Banks <laughs> that showed that he was worth $0. No, no, minus. Wait, is this the one that shows him worth? Uh, there was one Bloomberg. I think it's the food. one day. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
3: Well, no, his net worth says $3 there. Yeah. Maybe it was doctored, but it's the perfect yeah. meme.
2: <laughs> it is so a great good. meme.
0: That's
3: the oh best. My. Yeah.
1: That, so, that was the greatest clapback of everything. And yeah, listen, yeah. just dessert. We're talking about just dessert shit. Well, actually, so Rick, let me ask you, uh, jumping on Jack's point there. So, Bitcoin and Ethereum have seemed to weathered. I mean, I thought this shit was going to zero, man. But, like, can you talk about non investment advice, none of that? like, uh, do you think where they're sitting versus how awful the situation was? It's just like, eh, you know, people aren't able to separate these things. How's your kind of view on that?
2: Um, I mean, I, I, I don't have like good insights into like what why prices go up or down at all. Um, right. but, but what I will say is um, I think among every sophisticated investor, Ethereum pulling off proof of stake successfully and becoming deflationary uh, in terms of like the number of ETH circulating, that's quite an important meme and there's this kind of ultrasound money term out there um, but but the idea that Bitcoin is going to inflate for the rest of our natural lives and, and actually the number of eth may deflate over time um, that actually makes Bitcoin what's called disinflationary which means it is increasing but will stop um, and uh, and 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 now eth is deflationary and so i think that for true believers and people that have like the dry powder and have been paying attention to the ecosystem at a high level and just like charts um they still feel conviction and see it as a good time to like stock mother up. mother of
1: all buying opportunities <laughs> I yeah saying maybe, that.
2: maybe maybe not but, but like they just they just view it as like short-term weakness yeah um but i don't really participate in any of that kind of stuff uh I- i'm much more interested in like ideally transactions that give me like a superpower or access to culture. Like those Mm -hmm. are the kinds of transactions that I spend a lot of time thinking about and doing and like playing with on my phone and trying to make easier to use. Well,
1: that's a great, another heuristic, by the The,
2: way. the, The other thing I would like to like draw attention to and just, just speak more broadly is I really want to delineate between like people having a good, honest try and it not working. And I've definitely been an advisor to supporter of and proponent of projects that have like, Tried something; it has absolutely not worked out the way we all hoped, and they've had to like wind it down. Uh, I've definitely been involved in stuff like that, and like that, we should have infinite support for as a community. And there should not be like this, like mob mentality and clap back. There should be like, you know, are they honest about how they went into it and honest how they went out of it? And I think those those instances, that's fine. Versus just either gross incompetence or malevolence, or um, and you know, at the worst level is just outright fraud and theft. Um, so I do think we, we need to like, be gentle with founders who gave it a good, honest try and, and supportive of their next uh, explorations and attempts and incredibly harsh and kind of tough on these people who are just outright frauds or liars. Um,
0: yeah. yeah, fair. Well, I think the one thing I want to bring up, Rick, you mentioned like real use cases earlier. You were talking about playing with music NFTs and other NFTs and wallets and stuff like that. Um, I'd be curious to hear, like, are there any other cool things happening that we'd want to, you know, shed a light on essentially. And while you're thinking about that, if anything comes to mind, I'd also save the thing that Jack had shared recently about the Instagram digital collectibles, which we kind of talked a little bit about earlier, which actually seems like perfect for visualized value. Given you've got like, I think half a million people following you on Instagram, looking at your visuals. Um so I'd love to get Jack's take on some of the stuff that that's been happening with that. And even Nike just announced the dot swoosh stuff. Um so just to turn it into a bit more of a productive conversation after all the crazy FTX stuff, like let's talk about some good stuff being built. Well, one of you could go first. Uh, I think Jack, you might Sorry, be I'm mute,
3: muted. So go on Yeah, I, on. I could do a I could do a little uh the the Instagram stuff is is uh this is like that magic feeling that I was explaining before, where you realize that you've built this relationship at scale with a lot of people through work that you've published, but all of it exists on these servers of mm. social networks that you don't own in in any fashion whatsoever, right? And the paradox of that is you can go and start your own platform and start to share your work there and, you know, have work that you have digital provenance over on Ethereum, for example, but you don't get to leverage the network effects of Facebook, Twitter, all these massive businesses. So one thing that I thought was, one thing I was skeptical that they were going to do is to actually integrate with those uh, protocols where the assets are hosted that, that you know are not their infrastructure. And that's one of those special feelings where it's like, Wow, when you when you mint your first piece of work, you're like, "Why haven't I been doing this all along? And why am I not assigning provenance to all the art I'm creating from this point forward?" And it still has that weird um, the re- the relationship between it is so strange because you think about like scarcity in terms of um, publishing your work and making your work accessible to a market, but provenance over the longer term i think is the more important thing and if you think about creating this network of assets that live on ethereum those can be like ported across into all these other networks that can help you reach the people you want to reach yeah so i think they did an amazing job on the um integration of it the first round of it anyway i don't have access to the the sales side of it, but you connect a wallet through Instagram and you can go and access all of the NFTs you either own or minted or created and share them directly to the feed. And through those posts, people can discover where they live on Ethereum. And, and So
0: you're pleasantly surprised, it sounds like, right?
3: Very much so, yeah. 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 And so yeah. I'm just pulling out yeah.
0: the visual for people watching as well, because you wrote here, mint on Ethereum, exhibit on Instagram. And this is the UI... Uh, you had shared on Instagram.
3: Uh, yeah, if you go on to one Twitter, of the next kind of- one of the next ones, uh yeah, so they have that little that little signifier in the bottom left, digital, digital collectible. collectible. And then when you click on that, it tells you token ID and Ethereum, and I think you can click out. And mm-hmm. then in the back end, that one that you were just on, go back. So, yeah. This is just your ability to access all of the images that you've or all of the NFTs, I should say, that you've minted. Yep. So the right. idea that um all of that stuff lives with like immutable provenance somewhere. And you can just use the rails of Instagram or Twitter to broadcast that. I think should start to get people thinking about where their work lives. Do they own it? And uploading it to Instagram is not, uh, has nowhere near the same um, feedback loop of provenance as minting it on ethereum and yeah that's just a hard thing to know until you experience it and obviously there's been so much skepticism surrounding it around even selling work right like the idea that this has to be sold is even in my mind that's kind of overtaken the narrative in a strange way where it's like if you are a digital artist or if you even if you're a blogger right if you want to put work on the internet like where where should that live where should the original of that live and because we conduct our lives digitally having uh having the ability to store that somewhere that is immutable and no one can take it away from you is i think a really powerful meme but it's going to take a long time to take hold in people's minds i feel like well jack i I think it's going to take less time than
2: you think oh sorry just because like the number of people that got canceled for saying relatively inane things in the six months since we last spoke is insane. I mean, Steve will do it relatively inane stuff and like got removed from YouTube and all his income taken out. And I think the other great thing that's happened in the last six months since we spoke is just Farcaster and um, Lens Protocol have just taken off. They have got really um, dedicated, small, but growing communities And they have created this kind of new uh, space of social protocols. So protocols where your posts are living anywhere, but there are going to be different kinds of filters, different kinds of algorithms, different kinds of systems on them. Like if people want to live in their democratic bubble, they can live in their own bubble. If they want to live in a crypto bubble, they can. Um, They're going to be able to tweak their algorithms. And so I think that it's great to see huge social networks starting to add protocols and then new social networks starting to turn the corner on growth uh, you know, some of these things, if they keep compounding that growth rate month to month, they'll be massive in five
3: years. Yeah, shout out to Farcast. I love that. Yeah, it's yeah. It's amazing.
0: Well, Jack, Jack, I was just going to bring up, you know, where you just showed that we just showed the interface of Instagram, the collectibles there. I, I haven't tried this out myself, but when I logged in, it said you can connect your your wallet and stuff like that, which is kind of cool. Um, but it made me think of Looks Rare, like when we were all playing around on OpenSea with NFTs last year. And looks rare. Opened up, and you could click a button and connect your wallet, and it just ported all of your existing NFTs over with a click. And that was like imagine doing that with Instagram to Twitter, like, or it, all your videos on TikTok. Press this button; they're going to be imported into into Instagram, but not like being duplicated. They're actually being hosted essentially in the same place. Uh, and that is something I don't know if you can do that with Instagram the way that they're setting this up. But well, um, in, I theory, guess, yeah. in theory, if it's you can being set up on Ethereum, then it should be, right?
3: And then I think it changes the incentives at the platform layer where it's like we have to innovate to make our platform the most pleasant place to spend time and build features that are oh, interesting, yeah. versus we need to incentivize people to host their content on our platform, which is yeah. what they're do- like. That's the arbitrage now, right? It's like, we will be the place where you host content and in return we give you attention and that's not to say that there's anything wrong with that relationship but if the underlying value that you're creating doesn't have this like immutable relationship to you then there's a lot of risk involved in that for for you as a as a creator of those things um yeah and i think people maybe underestimate like it's not even necessarily about saying something controversial it's about like the fact that culture is digital for i mean maybe covid was the turning point there where like it feels like point of no return in terms of like news breaks on the internet art is made on the internet like these moments in culture happen on the internet and um feels like we need infrastructure to keep doing what we do as people in preserving those things as they happen and uh that's what i think ethereum enables
0: all right thanks again rick for being on the show really appreciate you being in being there uh, you're at rick burton on twitter right
2: yeah r-i-c-b-u-r-t-o-n and if anyone wants to talk about wallets or dApps or anything being built on ethereum happy to
0: chat perfect man all right we'll share that in the show notes as well thanks again for being there thanks for everyone for your support and we'll see you next week
1: yeah see you next week guys thank you great we right